Welcome to the Enlightening Motherhood Community. Here you will find a non-judgmental community offering support to mothers raising children with extra challenges. This community was created for you to empower moms who love their children deeply, but are also overburdened, overwhelmed, or just plain stressed out. We are the place for moms who sometimes find themselves feeling at the end of their rope and are looking for hope and light. Join us as we help you enlighten motherhood. Hello, hello, this is Emily. And today we are going to delve into part two on avoiding sibling rivalry. If you have not yet listened to part one, you'll want to go back and listen to that episode because this is just feeding directly off of that. Um, In part one, And in this um, episode today, I am giving you my takeaways and thoughts based on the ideas that were brought up from the book Siblings Without Rivalry by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. So part one, it handles topics such that I highly recommend it. It has sibling topics such as negative emotions, comparisons, giving according to need, and roles. But today we're focusing more on how to handle sibling conflict in a way that doesn't encourage sibling rivalry. Okay. Um, Just to lay a little bit of foundation for it, we talked about roles and we don't want to cast children into negative roles, but we really want to be careful because, for example, uh, you know, I have three boys and a baby girl. What if my children all heard me say, like, often growing up, if I said over and over something similar to, I love all my boys, but my daughter is my real pride and joy, right? That would be so damaging for my boys. And that we talked about last time a lot. It um, Maybe they might never want to live up to be in my pride and joy. They might not even try. Or maybe they might feel like no matter what they did, they'd never be good enough. Right? It would just cause so many problems. Not a good idea for them. But it would also be bad for my daughter. And here's why. Because it is going to increase sibling rivalry so much from the boys to her. They are, even if subconsciously, they may end up taking it out on her. And we wouldn't want that either, right? And she might not even understand why. She just knows her brothers are always picking on her and why are they always picking on me? So she's going to try to get back to them. It's a whole mess, all bubbling down to the fact that I was encouraging it without meaning to. And so let's not lock them into roles. Let's avoid those comparisons. And something interesting I heard very recently was... um, for example, let's say you have a picky eater. I think most families, we have one at least one child that we would call our picky eater. Do you know what the very best thing is that you can do to help your picky eater stop being a picky eater? Stop calling them a picky eater. Wow. <laughs> That's definitely food for thought. Okay. Moving on, I really do think it's okay to tell my children, especially individually, and especially when I can catch them in the act of doing something that proves it, that they're wonderful, that they're hardworking, that they're kind-hearted, that they're tough, that they're thoughtful, that they're awesome, etc. Okay, revisiting creative expression. Last episode, I said that um, using creative expression as an appropriate outlet of anger... um, might not be a tool that I'm going to utilize a lot in my family, right? And if it works for you, I am so happy that I brought it up, and I hope it does, right? And if it doesn't work for you, like I don't think it will work for me well, that's great. But I did think of one thing, and this is a pre-conflict kind of thing. Um, 
I talked about biting last episode. I'm going to bring it up again because it's a pretty clear one. It's kind of a little bit black and white. We know we don't want one child to bite another. The problem is some children really just kind of have this urge to bite. It's, um, it's kind of like certain dogs or puppies. They really like to chew on things a lot, right? Some children just want that stimulation in their mouth. And um, we can set up boundaries, try to get them to stop. No, don't do that. You know, biting's not okay. But sometimes they really just are still going to have that urge to bite. And so what I have found to be more effective is to give them an outlet for biting that is not going to hurt a person. And in our household, we have boundaries of certain things that you should, a lot of things you should not be biting. I don't encourage my children, I discourage my children from biting the couch, from biting toys that are shared toys. Um, I don't really enjoy them biting erasers and things like that. So we have a lot of things that they are allowed to bite. We found what we call chulery on Amazon. And that's nice. Um, You could maybe come up with, uh, for a while, one of my children, I would wrap bandanas around his neck and he would put, whenever he felt like having something in his mouth, he would just wad up the bandana and that really helped him. Uh, this is a great time to collaborate with your child. If you haven't listened to the episodes on collaborative problem solving, they're fantastic. Episodes 12 and 14, a lot of collaborative problem solving with your child. And you could do that here. Um, I, um, this is what a conversation might sound like if I were having it with my child. Oh, I see you feel like biting. Can you think of something else you can bite? instead of your brother, and then be ready to offer quick options if your child can't think of one. Would you like to bite a plastic spoon, or would you like to bite a chew necklace? Um, Maybe you can, with your child, come up with one of the stuffed animals that you're willing to have your child bite. Just a warning, it may end up getting ruined, (laughs) right? But um, maybe you can identify with them certain things in the house that are okay for biting. Uh, Some people go out and get chew toys for bear you might have a chew toy laying around from when they were a baby and I've heard that those work great that when they go to bite you say here bite this and you pull it out and you have it handy and some mamas have had it just they keep it in their pocket and they see the child's about to bite so they pull it out here bite this here bite this and eventually that desire to bite is going to go down they're not going to get a reaction for it or they might not want that stimulation in their mouth and so it's now de-escalated to the point where it might just fizzle itself out Okay, what about kiddos that seem to just want to punch? Oh, I see you want to punch, but I'm not allowed to hurt your brother. Can you think of something else to punch instead? Hmm, what could you punch instead of your brother? And then you have a conversation. Determine what in your house is a good thing to punch and what isn't. Okay. Oh, I see you're trying to pull your sister's hair. Is it because you're feeling frustrated? Can you think of something else you can do with your frustration? Would you like a piece of elastic or a stress ball or a fidget toy or whatever you have handy to pull on instead? And these could all be applied to other areas for sure. I'm not sure if the authors would call this creative expression as as the way they explain it in the book or not. Mm, I personally call it maybe connecting with empathy and then redirecting the behavior with a new idea to still meet the original behavior's need, but in a more appropriate way. 
that's a lot more wordy than creative expression. <laughs> so it's a great idea. It works very well, um, whatever we call it, if it's something that's going to work in your home and help you out. That is what I'm much more concerned with. Now, when you have two children and one is obviously being the, um, being the kid that's kind of wronging the other kid. One kid is obviously picking on the other kid. It's not really a two-way thing. One kid is obviously the one that's going to hit the other kid or taking things from the other kid. We see this a lot in my family. Um, the three-year-old, I personally think he's struggling with having lost his baby status. He worries a lot um, that she's taking too much of my attention or time. And so sometimes I see him acting out a little bit towards her. Um, I'm trying not to lock him in a role over that. I think it's a normal thing for his age and situation. So I'm not even taking it personally, but it is something that I have to deal with and I want to keep the baby safe, of course. Um, I've started to change the way I handled it since listening to this book and it's been going really well. Um, so if he sees like I, I usually have a basket of laundry in my living room and I'm fine with that. It's clean laundry that I'm going to end up putting away during the day sometime. And he lately has been wanting to pick it up and put it on her head. I don't quite care for that, especially because he'll get out like big heavy towels and it starts to become dangerous. Uh, so I've been trying to redirect his behavior, set up appropriate boundaries, things like that. And all of that's fine. But what's really helping to drive it home is to stop giving him the attention for it and instead give her tons of attention when it happened. For example, instead of, oh honey, stop putting the towels on your sister's head please. Or honey, when you put the towels on her head, it can be dangerous because she might not be able to breathe if they get in her face. Or remember, instead of putting the towels on her head, what could you do with the towels? All of that's fine and those are really good tactics. But he is getting so much of my attention from picking on his sister. And I don't know how I didn't see it before because right now it seems so clear. Of course, he was doing that for my, and I know my kids want my attention and that's fine. It's normal and natural to want your mother's attention. It's up to us to help them learn appropriate ways to get it. I was giving him tons of attention for it. So I've started instead when he does those things to shower her with so much attention and it is working fabulously. So now when he puts a towel on her head, I will go up to her and say, oh, honey, I, I take the towel off, of course. I'm so sorry your brother put that towel on your head. Oh, it, I, I see that you need a lot of my attention because that may have scared you and that could have been dangerous. So here, here, baby, I'm going to give you a lot of my attention and maybe I, I can give your brother some attention later and I hope he learns not to put the towels on your head. But meanwhile, I'm going to give you, baby, a lot of my attention right now because it looks like you need it. The look on his face <laughs> was like, oh man, that's not what I wanted at all. <laughs> totally recommend you try this out. Uh, you might have to experiment and do it different ways. Maybe I overdid it, but it was, it was pretty fun. And not only that, but my kids are picking up on this also. Uh, 
the other day, my three-year-old threw a ball at his baby sister. It was a softball. It didn't hurt him, her, but it was still like, mm, that is not a desirable, beha desirable behavior in our family. My 11-year-old was there, and he was the one to see it. And he started to go, oh, hey, baby, I'm sorry he was being mean to you. I guess I'll just have to give you extra attention now instead of him. And my three-year-old just pursed his lips and stared at them. He just kind of dropped the ball and walked away. He did not take it out on her later, I don't think. But he is slowly doing those things less and less because it's not getting the, him the attention he wants. And I'm also trying, of course, to give him more of the attention and all of that like normal, right? Doing our best. No mom guilt. It's not going to help us. We're all just doing our best. <laughs> okay. Sometimes it seems like our kids are not listening or like these little efforts don't matter. But remember, they do. And you're going to see it if you look for it. You're going to see these little moments where you're like, oh, all of this work is really worth it. It's amazing. Okay, so chapter six in this book is titled When the Kids Fight. And here is a direct quote from the book. Quote, we can play fight, not real fight, only by mutual consent. No one can take pleasure at the expense of another, physically, verbally, or emotionally. And these are, of course, guidelines that they are recommending you to lay down with your children. It would go way over my children's head if I used those exact words, but I actually do really like the idea. Um, play fighting is super borderline in our house. It can only happen if both children are okay with it, and if they understand, if you play fight, you may end up getting hurt. When we have friends over, we don't play fight. That's just a rule in our house because there's so much accidental hurt getting on. I don't want to drag other people's kids into it. That's just what we've decided in our house. Okay. And some of the advice in this chapter now is we're going here. Honestly, I've said this before, but it seems to be written more for neurotypical kids. And I don't think all of it would fly super far with my children. For example, the author tells of a time when one child was relentlessly picking on another, and all she had to do was grab the child that was doing the picking on by the shoulders and say, you are capable of superior kindness, and I want to see you use it now. And the bickering instantly stopped. With my boys, I'm pretty sure they would need more help and more scaffolding and more motivation in that kind of experience for the bickering to stop. But I like the idea of making sure our children know we have really good expectations for them, right? Instead of, oh, what a surprise. You're picking on your brother again. Of course you are. Why are you always picking on him? That's casting them into a role. That's doing the things that are probably going to have him take out his frustrations on his brother. So instead, I would recommend more of a, oh, I know you are a kind and loving person. So is there a reason you feel you need to say those things to your brother? Can you think of kinder words to say that instead of what you're doing? Or something similar might work better for my children. This is where you can try it out if it works great. And if it doesn't, you know, go ahead and move on. <laughs> um... The authors give the following advice for how to handle a fight, handle fighting in the home. Step one, if it's just normal bickering, they recommend you ignore it and let the children work it out themselves. 
I can see a lot of merit in that. However, um, in our home, uh, one, I've mentioned this before, a lot of times with ADHD, we feel emotions as kind of like a zero one or like a nine, 10. We, on a scale of one to 10, we don't have a lot of like four or five sixes in there. And so things can rev up super fast, especially because I have a couple of highly sensitive children. And so um, you combine the two, things go from normal bickering to a full on fight really fast. And so for me, I kind of use it as a, as a warning sign (laughs) for me to tell myself, okay, I'm on call now. Sometimes they work it out. Sometimes I still have to help them with working it out. And I still try to, to fall back onto that collaborative problem solving that we talked about in episode 14 and in episode 12. You can go back and re-listen to those if it's been a while or if you didn't get a chance to hear them before. I fall a lot on that when we're in, in that pre-fight stage because I kind of figure if I can get it while it's smaller that I can stop it from being huge. But I also know I can't always intervene in every single time that my children are bickering. I'm going to wear myself to the bone and they're never going to learn to problem solve themselves. So it's a really fine line. Um, It's okay if we don't get it perfectly the first time because we are just trying and it's a learning process for us. Okay. Step two or number two that the authors recommend if the situation is heating up, then adult intervention might be helpful. For example, you might need to reflect on each child's point of view. For example, my children, we had a, we were playing in the waiting pool last week. It's summer here and it's so hot. But anyways, we were in the waiting pool and two of my boys had a disagreement and I stopped and said, hmm, David, I see that you don't want to get wet. Hiram. I see that you have a bucket of water in your hands and you're about to pour it onto David. And my son, that's all I had to do. I just had to reflect on what was going on. And my 11 year old was so awesome. He went, mom, you're just saying that because it was in that audio book you've been listening to. <laughs> and he was so right, <laughs> but it worked really well it kind of solved the conflict. I just had to reflect on each child's point of view and then it kind of defused the situation. So that was great. Okay. Number three, if the situation is possibly dangerous, the authors recommend you remind them of the rule and offer them an alternative. This one I don't think would work well for us, but one example they have Say you hear screaming in your kid's room and you walk in and one kid is holding a baseball bat standing above the other kid ready to swing it at their head. Um, The author says, um, the author says to handle it kind of like this. I see two very angry children in here. I see one of them about to hurt another with a baseball bat. Remember that in this family, we don't hurt other people. Um, I recommend that you put down the bat and each of you go to separate parts of the house until you've simmered down. Okay. That is way too much talk. If I walk into my room and that's going on with my boys, I'm pretty sure one of them is going to swing before I can get that all out. Um, 
it's just not going to work in my household. I, I, if it works in yours, that is so wonderful for us. I try not to get physical with children very much, especially like other people's kids. I really try to not get physical, but in this situation, I'm probably going to get my hand ready to catch that bat. Then I might start talking, right? I'm going to get to where I can protect my children first and foremost. And then I might talk. Oh, it looks like there's two angry boys in here. It looks like you might hurt him. Can we think of an alternative way to solve this problem? But first, I'm going to make sure that they're physically safe. Okay, number four, what they recommend, if the situation is definitely dangerous, adult intervention is definitely required. And this is where they say, describe what you see, then separate. Um, for Oh, I combine it with part three. You understand what I'm saying, though. So I might say, I see two children about to punch each other. I want you to go to my room, and I want you to go to your room. And I want you to stay there until we're simmered down and can get to the root of this. My boys would not listen. If they are that emotionally, like, revved up, they're at a 10, they're about to physically really hurt each other, it's a dangerous situation, they are probably not, they're probably right in that fight or flight center mode in their brain, they're down in that amygdala, they are not in the logical listening to me section. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to get physical with them. I will try to be gentle. I'll try to be loving and understanding. But um, this just isn't going to work for me. It would work so much better to do emergency plan B that we talked about in episode 12 and in episode 14, uh, where I might, I, I'm really just going to try to diffuse the situation. I'm going to separate them myself, probably physically, really gently. Hey, I see you're really upset right now. I need you to come with me so that we can talk about it leave one child where they are, bring another child with me. And then once they're calmed down, in my house oftentimes I probably need something to eat or a glass of water, then we can talk about it. Hey, you seemed really angry. Can you tell me what was going on? And then we can move on from there. Okay, there is a big punishment debate that they have um, in the book. So we have one child that's harmed another child. Maybe they hit them, maybe they kicked them, maybe they bit them, maybe they, they did something that was really not okay to their sibling. Should you punish them? I think this is a super hard question. The authors suggest no. And here is why. Say you're... Um, Say Jim kicks Ted in the shin and you go, you give Ted the attention instead of Jim, just like we talked about. If you then, okay, Jim, no TV for a week. Jim's anger, remember we talked the last episode about the need for that children have to out, to have an outlet for their anger. Jim's anger is really going to swell up really high. And he'll probably try to get back at Ted another way later on. So the authors suggest that you actually don't punish for that negative behavior. Um, because it's just going to escalate the conflict. Because they're not going to see it probably as, oh, I'm being, 
I don't get TV for a week because I kicked my brother and kicking my brother is wrong. The authors say that it might be, oh, I don't get TV for a week and it's all my brother's fault. And so I'm going to get him for this. Right. That's what they recommend. They instead recommend helping children to resolve a difficult conflict with these seven steps. Now, notice I kept saying the author suggests because I'm still, I'm still not sure. I would love your input on this. Um, I wouldn't go extreme. I wouldn't worry about hashing out really huge punishments when we're in the heat of the moment. But I'm not sure. I think that there are some really gentle consequences that we can give children when they have done some harm to another child that are not inappropriate and that maybe we can handle gently to help them learn that sometimes when we make mistakes, we have to turn around and fix them. But I, I'm really open to your ideas on this one. I know what the author said, and it's something I'm still I'm still kind of figuring out in my motherhood. I know I, I have this podcast, and oh, I'm a parent guide life coach, and but there's some things I'm still trying to figure out. Is that okay? I hope so. All right. So here, going back to the authors, um, they have seven steps that they recommend to helping children in resolving a difficult conflict. First, you call a meeting. Second, you explain the ground rules. Third, write down each child's feelings and concerns. Now, you have to be careful here. When you're writing down each child's feelings and concerns, don't cast judgment. Don't worry if they're logical. You're just going to write it down. They gave an example. The, I know I keep going back to biting. But it's such a clear example. They had a child in the book that they said, why do you keep biting your sister? And the child said, I like biting. I love to bite. Biting feels good. I feel great when I bite someone. <laughs> okay. So just write down their concerns exactly as they say them. Write down their feelings, even if you don't agree with them. And me personally, I love to do reflective listening back to them. Um, just say they're concerned. Oh, you like biting. Oh, it feels good to you when you bite. I'm not saying I agree with you. I'm not saying I condone you biting other people. I'm just recognizing that I hear you. Okay, so do it for each child um, that's involved in the conflict. Okay, step four, allow after each child has had a chance to have their feelings and concerns explored, these authors recommend writing them down so there's a visual of them. Um, I will probably just keep it with speaking, but writing down is not a bad idea. Okay, after that, the authors suggest that you allow each child time for rebuttal. You're going to have to kind of play referee a little bit there. <laughs> not referee, coach, right? Coach, because we're all on the same team. Okay, so you might have to be coach a little bit there. Um, during the rebuttal. Step five, invite everyone to suggest, suggest solutions. Write down all of the ideas without evaluating them. In this step, there is no good idea. There's no bad idea. There are just ideas. You're going to brainstorm, write them all down. And then step six, decide on upon solutions everyone can live with. Step seven, follow up later. So if if we wanted to go back to say Melissa keeps on biting Jennifer um, and it's this habitual problem that keeps coming up we can call a meeting 
Okay, explain the ground rules. In this family, I'm not allowed to let people hurt each other. This is a safe place for everyone, and we don't hurt each other in our family. Okay, step three, write down each other's feelings and concerns. Jen, what are your concerns with trying to bite Melissa? Melissa, what are your concerns and feelings about being bitten? Write them down. And honestly, maybe Jennifer is too young or didn't stop to think about the fact that it hurts Melissa. <laughs> you never know. That's what this is good for. And Melissa didn't stop to think why Jennifer was biting her in the first place. Um, so this is actually a really good thing to help children learn empathy and other perspectives with each other. It's a great school, school, skill to teach your children. Allow time for rebuttal so they can then, after they've explained their feelings and concerns, allow them to discuss them with each other. Try to keep it as neutral as possible. And then everyone suggest solutions. Write them all down. Um, maybe Melissa that's getting bit is going to say, pull all of Jennifer's teeth out. Obviously not something you're going to do. Go ahead and write it down. Jennifer will say, you can't pull my teeth out. It's okay, Jennifer. I'm not saying we're going to pull your teeth out. I'm just writing down all of the ideas. We'll decide on one that works for everyone. Okay, write them all down and then together decide upon solutions that everyone can live with and follow up later. And maybe in your home, it's going to be that you have a, a bowl of apples on the table and when Jennifer feels like biting, she's going to go and grab an apple and bite it. I don't know. Whatever works for everyone, as long as it works for everybody that's involved in the problem, it's a good solution. It can be outside of the box, and that is fine. And then step seven, you want to follow up later. Hey, so how's this going? Right. This can be used. I know I simplified it with the biting thing. It can be used for a lot of different sibling conflicts with um, sharing toys, sharing rooms, um, TV use time, deciding on video games to play. We don't do a ton of those in our house, but can absolutely be used for that. If they're always fighting over which show to show that they're going to watch when it's time for them to pick a show, maybe you need to have a meeting over it. And I would follow these same similar steps. So me personally, I still prefer to keep the ground rules for after the children have expressed their feelings and concerns. Um, and that's just because I don't want to try to, I really want them to just let loose and let me know what's going on. Um, and then I would remind them of the rule later as part, as my concern. So I would have the children that are involved in the conflict express themselves openly, freely. And then I would say, oh, those are great concerns. Now, my concern is that in our family, we're not allowed to hurt each other. So can we think of a solution for this? Hey, here's another example that's not biting. <laughs> Tracy wants to use, oh, Tracy wants to use my crayons, but I don't want her to. Tracy might say, I need these crayons for my homework. Hmm. This is difficult. Jack, why don't you want Tracy to use your crayons? And Jack might say, because she won't put them away and I'll get in trouble. Hmm, I see. Reflective listening. You're worried she won't put them away and you'll get in trouble. But Tracy, you're worried that you can't do your homework without them. And my concern is that I can't make Jack share. They are his crayons and it has to be his choice. Side note. 
forced sharing often causes more issues than it's worth. That's a big topic for another time, but trust me. Okay. Hmm. Can you think of any solutions to this problem? My three-year-old solution for his sister to not touch his puzzle was... <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I promise I don't laugh in front of him. I'm super serious and concerning, but as an afterthought, it's really funny. Okay, his sister kept touching his puzzle. He didn't want her to. So I, mm, I see you don't want your sister to touch your puzzle. I understand. Why don't you want her to touch your puzzle? Oh, because she'll mess it up. Okay, so you want to play with your puzzle and you don't want her to mess it up. The thing is, I need your sister to crawl around in the living room right now. And the safest space for her to crawl around is on the floor. Hmm. Can you think of a solution? Can you think of a way that she can crawl on the floor and you can play with her puzzle without her messing it up? The solutions to me were obvious right away, but he does so much better if he, he helps to come up with them. Well, his solution this time was, Mom, what about if you... Go and get some sticker doors right now and put them on the floor all around this puzzle so she can't get in. Well, that's not exactly a possibility, so sometimes we may need to help. Okay. He was okay with my eventual suggestion, though, where I said, maybe is there a place that you could put them that's already in the house that she can't get to? Could you put them up on the table? Or can you bring them to your room and close the door? He ended up being fine with that because I had listened to his feelings first and I allowed him to be a part of the solution finding process. It goes so much better with that child than when I would just tell him the solution and then try to impose it. It used to be, well, if you don't want her to play with your puzzle, pick them up and put them on the table or bring them to your room and close the door. But now that he's part of finding that solution, he's doing so much better. And here's the big thing. Not only is this helping our children solve the conflict in a way that's leaving each side blameless, it's leaving less pent-up anger that they're likely to bring out against each other later, it's teaching them skills to solve the problems they sometimes may even eventually learn to do this themselves. Where you might hear one child say, I know that you want A, but I want B. Let's find a solution. It just might come out, and it might be when you least expect it. Okay. This has made such a difference with my child that tends to have a little bit more defiance. Can you tell I'm still trying to not lock him into a role there? Still working on it. Okay, but when he's part of the collaborative problem-solving process, he tends to be much happier with his solution, even if it's what I would have initially suggested, because I heard and validated his feelings all the way throughout it. I allowed him to be a part of what would happen. He had a say in coming up with it, plus he's learning that skill to solve problems on his own. Right. This has been so wonderful for my children. Okay, closing up, I'm just going to... Their chapter seven they call Making Peace with the Past. I'm just going to give you some really flowery quotes that they ended with and close it up there. Okay. Imagine a world in which brothers and sisters grow up in homes where hurting isn't allowed, where children are taught to express their anger at each other sanely and safely, where each child is validated as an individual 
not in relation to the others. Where cooperation rather than competition is the norm, where no one is trapped in a role, where children have daily experience and guidance in resolving their differences. So beautiful. I am really grateful for the ideas that this book brought up that I'm able to implement in my home. What are some things that stood out to you? I want to hear how this is going. Let me know how it is. Send me an email at enlighteningmotherhood at gmail.com. Hop onto my website, enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash contact. I really want to know. Also, if you have some tips for helping siblings grow up without rivalry that I didn't discuss in these episodes, please let me know. I would love to hear them. Contact me. Let me know. And if I mentioned this in the last one, that I, if you want to delve deeper, send me an email. I'm totally happy to go there with you. Also, can you think of anyone that would benefit from this? If so, send them a quick text with the link to this episode. We are creating all of these episodes. We're carving time out of our lives because we want to help people. And the more people that can get the message, the better because it's going to help them even more. Along those lines, I know this is a lot, but one more. Along those lines, if you can just take a few minutes to leave us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, um, the more positive reviews we have, the better the algorithm is for when people are looking for such a podcast as ours, it's going to go much higher in the feed with more positive reviews. So you have just a minute. That would help us out so much. It would help other people find us just a really good way to be a part of our community. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a fabulous one.